Chapter Nineteen of Cutlass and Cudgel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Cutlass and Cudgel by George Manville Fenn. Chapter Nineteen. How many horses has your father got? Three. What color are they? Black, white, and gray. Turn around three times and catch whom you may. That, as every one knows, is the classical way of beginning the game of blind man's buff. And supposing that the blinded man pro tem is properly bandaged, and cannot get a squint of light up by the side of his nose, and also supposing that he confuses himself by turning round the proper number of times honestly, he will be in profound darkness, and in utter ignorance of the direction of door, window, or the salient objects in the room. Take another case. Suppose a lad to have eaten a hearty supper of some particularly hard pastry. The probabilities are that he will either have the peculiar form of dream known as nightmare, or some time in the night he will get out of bed, and go wandering about his room in the darkness, to awake at last, cold, confused, and asking himself where he is, without the slightest ability to give a reasonable answer to his question. It has fallen to the lot of some people to be lost in a fog. Words these which can only be appreciated by those who have passed through a similar experience. The writer has gone through these experiences more than once, and fully realized the peculiar sensation of helplessness, confusion, and brain-numbing which follows. Dark as pitch is mostly a figure of speech, for the obscurity is generally relieved by something in the form of dull light, which does enable a person to see his hand before him. But the blackness around, when Archibald Raystoke began to come back to his senses, would have left pitch far behind as to depth of tint. His head ached, and there was a feeling in it suggestive of the contents having been turned into brain fritters in a pan, fritters which had bubbled and turned brown, and then been burned till they were quite black. He opened his eyes, and then put his hands up to feel if they were open. They were undoubtedly, and he hurt them in making the test, for he half fancied, and he had a confused notion, that a great handkerchief had been tied over them. But though they were undoubtedly open, he could not see. In fact, when he closed them, strange as it may sound, he felt as if he could see better, for there were a number of little spots of light sailing up and down and round and round, like the tiny sparks seen in tinder before the fire which has consumed is quite extinct. He lay still, not thinking, but trying to think, for his mind was in the condition described by the little girl who, suffering from a cold, said, "'Please, Ma, one side of my nose won't go.' Archie Raystroke's mind would not go, and for a long time he lay motionless. His memory began to work again in his back, for he gradually became conscious of feeling something there, and after suffering the inconvenience for a long time, he thrust his hand under his spine and drew out a piece of iron, sharp-edged and round like a hoop. He felt better after that, and fell to wondering why he had brought his little hoop to bed with him, and also how it was that his little hoop, which he used to trundle, had become iron instead of wood. The exertion of moving the hoop made him wince, 
for his back was sore, and his arms felt strained as if he had been beaten. His mind began to go a little more, and he had to turn back mentally. But he could not do that, so he made an effort to go forward, and wondered how soon it would be morning, and the window-curtains at the foot of the bed would show streaks of sunshine between. Time passed on, and he still lay perfectly quiet for he did not feel the slightest inclination to move after his late efforts, which had produced a sensation of the interior of his skull beginning to bubble up with fire or hot lead rolling about. But as that pain declined he felt cold, and after a great deal of hesitation he suddenly stretched out his hands to pull up his clothes. There were none. His natural inference had been, as he was lying there upon his back, that he must be in bed, but now he found that, though there were no bedclothes, he was wearing his own, only upon feeling about with no little pain did they not seem like his clothes. That was as far as he could get then, but some time after there came a gleam of light in his understanding, and he recalled the mists that hung about the channel. Of course he was in one of those thick mists, and he had gone to sleep on, on, what had he gone to sleep on? The light died out, and it was a long time before, like a flash, came the answer. The deck of the cutter! He made a movement to start up in horror, for he knew that he must have gone to sleep during his watch, and his pain and stiffness were like a punishment for doing so disgraceful a thing. What will Mr. Brose say if he knows? he thought, and then he groaned, for the pain caused by the movement was unbearable. At last his mind began to clear, and he set himself to wonder with more force. This was not the deck, for he could feel that he was lying on what was like an old sail, and where his hand lay was not wood, but cold hard stone, with a big crack full of small scraps. The lad shook his head and then uttered a low moan, for the pain was terrible. It died off, though, as he lay, still trying hard to think, failing, trying in a half-dreamy way, and finally thrilling all over, for he remembered everything now, the smugglers, the scene in the darkness of the room where he was imprisoned, the coming of that boy who jeered at him till they engaged in a fierce struggle, with the result all plainly pictured, till he was stunned, or had swooned away. These thoughts were almost enough to stun him again, and he lay there with a hot sensation of rage against the treacherous young scoundrel who had lured him on to that struggle, and held him so thoroughly fixed against the bars till he was secured and bound. Yes, and his eyes were bandaged. He could recall it now. "'Oh, only wait till I get my chance,' he muttered, and he involuntarily clenched his fists. He lay perfectly quiet again, though, for he found that any exertion brought on mental confusion, as well as pain, and he wanted to think about his position. It came by degrees more and more, and as he was able to think with greater clearness, he found an explanation of the fancy he had felt that he must be ill and seasick again, and that somebody had been giving him brandy. Part was fevered imagination, part was reality, for there could be no doubt about that faint odor of spirits. It was brandy, but brandy in smuggled kegs, and the scoundrels of smugglers had shut him up in the vault with their kegs. "'Well, they have not killed me,' 
he said to himself with a little laugh they dared not try that and all i have to do now is to escape if mr bro does not send the lads to fetch me out he went through the whole time now since his landing thought of what a disgraceful thing it was for a titled gentleman to mix himself up with smuggling and what a revelation he would have for the lieutenant and the master who had been so easily deluded by sir risdon's bearing then he thought of cecilia and how bright and innocent she had seemed putting away all thoughts of her however directly as his angry feeling increased against ram and this treacherous girl he must have been for hours thinking often in a drowsy half-confused way but rousing up from time to time to feel his resentment growing against ram who seemed to him now to be the personification of the whole smuggling gang by degrees he grew conscious of a fresh pain one that was certainly not produced by his late struggles or by stiffness from lying upon an old sail stretched upon the damp floor of a vault as he thought this last he asked himself why he called it the damp floor of a vault for it was not damp but perfectly dry and below the scraps of stone in the seam there was fine dust but the said pain was increasing and there was no mistaking it he was hungry decidedly hungry and paradoxically as he grew better he grew worse the pain in the head being condensed in a more central region where nature carries on a kind of factory of bone muscle flesh blood and generally health and strength suddenly archie recalled that his legs had been bound and he sat up to find that they were free now and if he liked he could rise and go to the grated window and call for help if i do they'll come down and stuff a handkerchief in my mouth again he thought and it is no use to do that i may as well wait until i hear our men's voices and then i'll soon let them know where i am he got on his feet feeling stiff and uncomfortable and then tried to make out where the grated window was but the darkness was absolute and he stretched out one foot and his hands as he began to move cautiously along feeling his way till he kicked against a loose stone this arrested him and he tried in another direction for his foot to come in contact with what seemed to be round and proved to be a spar lying in company with some carefully folded and rope-bound sails the old rascal thought archie as he mentally procured the stern sad countenance of sir risdon why he must have a lugger of his own and keep his stores in here a little feeling about convinced him that the window of the vault could not be behind the pile of boat gear against which he had stumbled and he moved slowly off again to stop at the end of a yard or two feeling about with one foot why i'm not shut up he cried joyously i'm out on the ledge they must have laid me here to be fetched off by the boat suppose the tide had risen while i was asleep but the joyous feeling went off as he stared about him it had been dark enough in a dense fog but it did not feel dark and cold now as if there was a dense fog everything seemed dry and though he listened attentively he could not hear the washing of the waves among the rocks nor smell the cool moist seaweedy odor of the coast instead of that a most unmistakable smell of brandy came into his nostrils and yet he seemed to be standing on that ledge close down to the water 
for as he stooped down now he could trace with his hand one of the huge curled-up shellfish turned to the stone in which it was embedded while as he felt about there was another and another larger still he listened again no he was not on the seashore he must be in the vault beneath sir risdon's house and though he had not noticed it the floor must be paved with a layer of stones similar to those found where the little kegs had been left he went cautiously on with outstretched hands through the intense darkness and his feet traced the flat curls of stone again and again but he did not find any wall and now as he made up his mind to go back to where he had been when he first awoke he found that he had not the faintest idea as to which direction he ought to take as he grew more able to move and act the sense of confusion which suddenly arrested him was terrible almost maddening where was he what was here on all sides it could not be the cellar as he went in one direction or the other toward the walls and he stood at last resting in the most utter bewilderment of mind and helplessness of body possible to conceive while a curious feeling of awe began to steal over him the smugglers had not dared to kill him or throw him into the sea as he had heard of them doing on more than one occasion but as far as he could make out they had cast him down into some terrible place to die the idea was terrible and unable to contain himself he took a step or two in one direction then in another and stopped short not daring to stir for fear some awful chasm such as he had seen among the rocks should be yawning at his feet and he should fall headlong down he stopped to wipe the cold perspiration away that was gathering on his brow and then trying to keep himself cool he stood thinking and finally in utter weariness sat down i wish i wasn't such a coward said the young midshipman half aloud it's like being a child to be frightened because it's dark what's that he started up that was a gleam of light some distance off shining on the rugged walls of a vast chamber or set of chambers he could only dimly see this for the light was but feeble and the bearer hidden behind the rugged pillars which supported the roof but it was evidently coming nearer and as it approached he could see that he was in a vast cavernous flat sealed place which appeared to have been a quarry from which masses of stone had been hewn the floor here and there being littered with refuse of all sorts and sizes as the light came on the midshipman made out that quite a store of spars ropes and blocks lay at a short distance and that more dimly seen was a large stack of tubs from which doubtless emanated the odor of brandy archie's first idea was to go and meet the bearers of the light but on second thoughts he decided to stand upon his dignity and let them come to him and as the thought occurred to him that the visit might be of an inimical nature his hand stole into his breast in search of his dirk vainly though the weapon was gone all this time as if the bearers were coming very leisurely the light slowly approached and as the midshipman more fully grasped the fact that he must be either in a stone quarry or a mine he saw that the light was an ordinary horn lanthorn and from the shadows it cast he could see that there were two people one of whom was carrying something weighty on his shoulders. This soon resolved itself into four kegs, slung two and two, the bearer panting under their weight, 
while his companion held the light low down, so that he could see where to plant his feet and avoid the corners of the huge square pillars which supported the roof. Neither of the pair seemed to pay much attention to him. In fact, the midshipman was doubtful whether he was seen, as he stood back waiting till they had passed him, and then hesitated as to whether he should make for the entrance and escape. Through the black darkness, not knowing which way he should go, perhaps to fall down some shaft such as was sure to be in a place like this? No, he could not risk the journey without a light, and he stood waiting and trying to make out the shadowy figures, one of whom looked strangely uncouth beneath his load, while the other was quite short. Archie had not long to wait before the pair halted by a stack of kegs, to which the four carried by the man were added, and this done, they turned and came toward him. At this moment, after excitedly watching them, the midshipman became convinced. The bearer of the lanthorn was his young enemy, the boy. End of chapter 19